0: Welcome to Chess Crib, episode one. We are your hosts, Grandmaster Daniel Naroditsky and
1: FM Robbie Adamson. Welcome
0: everybody to the inaugural episode of Chess Crib. This is a very exciting occasion for both of us. I feel nervous. I feel excited. There's no real way to prepare for an undertaking this ambitious, so we just decided to jump in. Robbie, I'm pretty sure you you share most of the same sentiments.
1: Yes, I do. I share the same sentiments and I'm really excited to be doing this because we've talked about doing this for a long time and I think we come with uh, varying perspectives on things uh, in the chess world and I think we can provide um, pretty accurate analysis of the of the issues that are facing the chess world in an objective manner um, that will um, be appetizing to everybody that wants to listen to this podcast. So,
0: as Robbie hit on there, the purpose of the podcast is to discuss all things chess. We offer our uncensored opinions, uh, our objective analysis and objective takes, uh, clear presentation of issues, and all things that would make a chess podcast entertaining. But we will discuss every topic related to current chess events, top tournaments, uh, top players, and, of course, chess improvement and books – and everything that is in the chess news as well. So we will hit on absolutely everything, strap yourselves in, and whether you are a beginner or Magnus Carlsen, uh, we hope that you will enjoy our perspectives. So, Robbie, today's episode is on cheating in chess. We thought that was a worthy topic uh, of a first episode. And cheating, of course, is the use of outside assistance uh, whether human or computer during a chess game, essentially someone or something helping you make moves, uh, is
1: cheating. Did I did I get that accurately? Yes, you did, Daniel. And I think one of the things that those of you that might not be familiar with how cheating uh, comes up in chess, because the most common layperson's question is, "Well, how do you cheat in chess?" Um, and that can be in itself an education. And so we're going to be talking about cheating in chess, whether it is on an online game uh, where you're playing in the comfort of your own home and you're receiving some sort of assistance or uh, even worse when it's in a, in a tournament in which you're playing someone over the board and there is cheating that, invo- that is uh, occurring during that. And the, uh, the ways that you can cheat are very, very different uh, when you're cheating over the board versus cheating online. So
0: we're going to untangle all of that for you. And we are going to provide, uh, evidence of cheating throughout the years. And, uh, we're really going to hit on the fact that cheating is a problem, which has existed now, uh, for something like two decades plus, but we will also, of course, not shy away from a discussion of, uh, the hot news in the chess world, uh, which is really, uh, you know, a huge developing story and that of course concerns uh, Grandmaster Hans niemans performance at the Singfield Cup. We are recording uh, after round four has concluded. So this is an unfolding story uh, and of course, Magnus Carlson's subsequent withdrawal from the Singfield Cup. So we will hit on absolutely everything in this episode and without further ado, let's let's jump in.
1: So the Singfield Cup is a tournament that is ha- held on an annual basis uh, in St. Louis, Missouri. Um, and it features 10 of the top players in the world. Um, it is sponsored by Rex Singfield, who is a billionaire who lives locally in St. Louis, and he is the leading sponsor of chess in the United States. And, uh, the event features world champion Magnus Carlson, the last two challengers to the World Championship, who Magnus both defeated, uh, most recently was Nepo, and the, the person before that was Fabiano Caruana, and then some other players who are also ranked in the top 15, top 20 in the world, and then, and then there was one wild card, uh, and his name is Hans Niemann. And he is a grandmaster from the United States, and he's been recently rising, uh, increasing his rating substantially over the last two years. The event is, is um, played over, over a two-week period with some rest days in between. And the tournament is one of the most prestigious events that chess fans all across the world follow. And, of course, when you have a player like, well, Magnus Carlsen playing in the event, that's always going to attract attention.
0: Yeah, uh, that was a, a really good a really good explanation of the details. So there's the Singfield Cup. It's going on. Uh, I basically don't have anything to add. Only two things. Uh, by Nepo, uh, Robbie, you're referring to Jan Nepomneshi. Uh Just, you know, in case you haven't heard that moniker, just much easier to say the latter, uh, or I guess the former— so uh, that's one thing. The other thing is that it's around Robin, which means that everybody plays everybody one time. So every, identify any person in the tournament, that person plays all of the other players. So there's nine total games. Okay, so as Robbie mentioned, they invited Hans Niemann. Now Hans, uh, as Robbie said, is a talented American Grandmaster, but there's a story behind him, which is that his improvement curve has To say it has been rapid is to say nothing. It's been meteoric. Two years ago, he was an international master. He's always been very talented, make no mistake. But he went from like one of maybe 10 top juniors to, you know, super grandmaster. He's almost at 2700 FIDE, which is the uh, demarcation line for super grandmaster. And he did all of that in like a year and a half add to that the fact that he's pretty closed off about his training methods. Hans is a very private person. You know, he, he's just mysterious in so many ways. So his training routine isn't known. So even as Hans entered the tournament, there were already a lot of people, Robbie, on the edge of their seats. And then there's no other way to put this crazy shit starts happening. So Hans draws Aronian in round one. Then in rounds two and three, he's got Shakir Mamidyarov, and Mag- Magnus Carlsen, two of the most nightmare opponents you could possibly have, and he has them in a row.
1: Robbie, what happens? So Magnus, uh, after drawing Aronian in the first round, uh, he played a fantastic game against Mamidyarov, very, very exciting game that went into... Um, Immense complications, but seemed to favor Hans uh, because Hans had White in that particular game, and he finished him off very, very nicely. And then in round three, he did the unthinkable. He beats Magnus Carlsen, who hadn't lost a game in, it seems like, three decades. <laughs> not really, but he hadn't lost a game in like three or four years, and he also lost with White. Uh, not only did he lose, but he also he got completely outplayed in an end game which happens to be Magnus one of Magnus Carlsen's greatest fortes is being able to play end games which basically refers to the part of the game in which a lot of the pieces are gone and there's not very many pieces left and he's the master at playing those type of positions Magnus Carlsen is known for one of those players that plays simple positions probably as well as anybody and maybe as as, as well as well as anybody ever has played so with that with that in mind, you know, beating two players in the in in the in the top ten, top fifteen in the world, um, and beating players that are rated over twenty seven hundred FIDE is quite an accomplishment in itself. Much less to do it in back to back games.
0: Yeah, it was absolutely nuts. I mean, Hans, this is his first super tournament. This is the first time he's playing these types of players. So there was a school of thought that went well. Yeah, Hans beat weaker players, so he's really good at playing weaker grandmasters, but he's going to get his ass kicked in this tournament, and the opposite is happening. There's so many details to this. Let me lay out a few more. What's making this weirder is the way that he's giving interviews after the game. So it's common practice to interview chess players on air to hear their thoughts after the game, it's usually the winner, which, of course, is Hans. So both wins he's interviewed and there's no delicate way to put this. He, he acts unbelievably cocky. You know, there's a couple of just golden quotes from those interviews. We invite you to, you know, search them up on YouTube. They're really easy to find on the St. Louis Chess Club's uh, YouTube channel. So there's so many weird things about the interviews. The way he's talking, he's he's somehow not explaining any of the things that he was thinking during the game. He's not all that coherent. And Hans has lived in the U.S. for the vast majority of his life, and he seems to have developed a weird Eastern European accent, and I would know because I used to have one. So it's almost as if he's had this crazy transformation, and the interviews actually might be the thing that is making people like most suspicious. Uh, So that's happening. And the last thing I will say, and Robbie, before I pass it back to you to keep uh, to keep the story rolling. Uh, so I mentioned the accent. I mentioned the interviews. And of course, uh, today, I guess this morning, the chess world heard the news that Magnus Carlsen was dropping out of the Sinkfields Cup. He was withdrawing. That is, refusing to play any more games and ending his participation, which is usually a breach of contract results in a nullification of your prize. It's an unprecedented thing to do unless you have Emergency health reasons, which happens once in a blue moon, Magnus has never withdrawn from a tournament. Now he didn't provide a reason for withdrawing, um, other than a tweet, but you know most chess fans who are worth their salt can kind of suspect the very likely reason. So, Robbie, have, have I done a halfway decent job at explaining? what's happening with Hans currently
1: no it's a fantastic explanation of what's going on Uh, except I will say that in Magnus's tweet in which he announces that he's not going to uh, be continuing the tournament any any further uh, he does say uh, in in that same tweet he links to a video in which he really he says I can't say why I'm doing this Or I'll get in trouble if I say why I'm really doing this. So that just leads to more speculation as to, well, what possibly could be the reason? Um, Is it a dispute with the organizer? Well, clearly that's not the case because in Magnus's tweet, he says, I want to thank the St. Louis Chess Club. I've always enjoyed playing here and I will be back. So clearly it's not a dispute with the organizer. So what else could it be? And of course, there's been a lot of chatter um, about... Uh, you know what could be the re- other reasons for doing it? Is it Magnus being a bad sport? Um, is he just uh, was he irritated with just simply losing to someone for the first time in a long time, or was there more of a deeper meaning? And so what we're going to be what we're going to be talking about today is what others are saying about what could be going on, um, because I think it's important that when you're judging someone. Uh, for, uh, especially when we're talking about cheating, you need to have evidence. And if you don't have evidence, it's easy to, to, um, to claim someone is, uh, getting assistance in some way. But if you don't have any evidence to support it, it's, you know, not, um, it's not worth anything. And I think one of the hard things is in chess is that when you're trying to decide, uh, you know wh- whether someone's violated a fair play or has gotten some sort of outside assistance is well. How much is enough to show that they had assistance? Do you have to catch them red-handed? I think the answer is yes. If you don't, if you don't catch them red-handed, um, especially a player of Han's ability who also or already is a very very strong player. But to accuse him of cheating means you really have to have sophisticated. Um, and substantial evidence that proves that. And as of the time of this recording, uh, I'm not aware. And Daniel, I don't think you're aware of any evidence that shows that that Hans is cheating.
0: No, at the present moment, at the time of recording, there is no hard evidence. Um, And I feel self-conscious using these terms because Robbie is a lawyer by trade and see, at least one of us has a profession. Uh, But the evidence has to be direct. Basically, you know, I saw him getting his moves from another person and here's camera evidence of that, or a official tournament arbiter has to see that. Uh, So there's none of that yet. We're just going to put that out there. But there are a lot of shades of gray here. So I was going to make a couple of further clarifications about Han's participation. Um, and Magnus's withdrawal. So, Robbie, you mentioned that uh, Magnus didn't provide a reason, but everybody is kind of suspecting, of course, that the reason is that Magnus believes that Hans used outside assistance of some sort during their game. So, most, if I have my finger on the pulse of the world, right, most people are at the stage where it's not even that they're thinking about whether, like, did Hans cheat? It's more that they're asking the question, How is it even possible to cheat um, at a tournament that's this high profile, that has metal detectors the players have to get scanned before the games? They see all of that and they're like, you know, Hans is 19 years old. How could you even think that, you know, he's doing something? What would that even look like? And I think this probably gives us a good rabbit hole uh, to jump into a slightly different tangent. You know, before we delve into the question of uh, evidence and whether um any evidence has been gathered w- we need to talk about like how cheating is even possible so robbie cheating has a a, a long history uh, of methods that have uh, as time progressed become more and more sophisticated more and more hard to detect but uh you know it's got a long long history can you tell us a little bit about that history and uh, your experiences with cheating and your very long chess career as a, as a player and obviously as a coach.
1: Yeah, so, Daniel, I've been playing chess for o- almost 40 years. And the way it, the way cheating started was it was very commonplace back in the day for players to talk to each other during the game. And I don't mean the players playing the games, but a player and, an, and a spectator or a player and another player who's playing another game and they're just walking around during the game when it's not their move and they're talking. And there was always a suspicion that they were communicating or they were trying to give advice and all that kind of stuff. And so that's where I think a lot of this in its infancy happened. And then of course, with the you know progression of technology, it's gradually gotten worse um, because then all of a sudden we have what are called engines and that basically uh, chess engines that can analyze a particular person, a particular position, I should say, and tell you uh, what move to play. And so, if you have an engine that's telling you what to play, the question is: is well, then how do I uh, find out that information uh, without being super obvious about it? And so. One of the things that's happened maybe 20, 15 years ago was people would have their cell phone on their person. They would have some sort of an app that had an analysis engine that could run and a player could input the moves on that app and it could tell them what to do and they could find that information out by going to the bathroom. They could use a stall, bathroom stall to go ahead and do that and uh, find out the information that way. And so that was that was pretty that was pretty uh, well established that that was really the only way you could cheat by using an analysis engine. But unfortunately there's been even more progression in that department. And I think that from a, I don't think it's, it's, uh, um, unreasonable to suggest that with technology improving, it gets easier to cheat. And that's one of the things that I think is really, really um, difficult in the chess world. Is that how do you know, like, how, how do you know that anyone is playing their moves without assistance? And you see a result like this, and you say to yourself, "Well, the, the world champion lost." Well, the world champion can lose because someone plays good moves; um, they play a better game than them. Um, and so, it's not necessarily just because you look at the result. You have to look at you have to look at well, what are the other factors that are there? So unless you catch the person red-handed, you're, the, you know, you're left with, well, there's not enough to forfeit the person. So then the question is, is, well, do you do advanced screening measures? Well, there were some advanced screening measures that was done by the St. Louis Chess Club today in advance of round four. So Magnus had played round three, withdrew, didn't show up for round four, but all players were subjected to a, uh, a more rigorous screening. And Hans was, was screened during this round, and nothing was found. And so uh, you know, now the chess world is saying to themselves, well, is, does that prove the point, or is there other information that we should be relying upon? And I think that's one of the hard parts, is that unless you catch the person red-handed, it's impossible to, um, to forfeit uh, anybody or withdraw someone from the tournament because of receiving that kind of outside assistance.
0: Yeah, that's very well put. Um, the, the first thing I wanted to mention, you mentioned that things had progressed past the point of using your s- cell phone or smartphone uh, in the bathroom stall, because at, at one point, like that shit was really, really common. I mean, that was happening like every tournament. There must have been tons of undetected cases that were never discovered because it was so easy. Like you can't say, hey, you got out of the bathroom six times. Like, you know, are you really peeing that much? Like that's just like not polite. And there was actually a world championship match in 2006 between Vladimir Kramnik and Veselin and Topalov. You can Google it if you don't know about it, where um, Vla- uh, Vesel and Topalov's team um, and his manager accused Vladimir Kramnik, his challenger in the world championship match, of going to the bathroom and cheating. This is at the freaking world championship match where the security measures are crazy. He, he The Topalov team accused the Kramnik team of having a camera in uh Kramnik's private toilet where he would go during the moves and he was going to the toilet a lot. Um that was true. Um Topolov's team had accused him of receiving moves in the toilet. It was crazy. Um and they're still sworn enemies. Rob, you have something
1: to add to that. And and they called that bathroom gate because every controversy has to have a gate in it. And so this was called bathroom gate. Toilet gate. and was it toilet gate it was one of the two. Oh, maybe it was toilet gate. Oh, I missed it. It was either toilet gate or bathroom gate. Robbie, you cannot
0: continue the story. Oh, you're about to Google it because we're sitting next to a computer because we're so prepared at doing podcasts. Okay, Robbie is searching toilet gate on his computer. Chess Paulov. Yeah, it came up. The first thing that comes up is a chess.com article. If you scroll down, you can see the Wikipedia article on the world
1: championship. Yes, toilet gate. Toilet gate was correct. I stand cor- I stand corrected. It was toilet gate and that was the talk of uh of, of the world championship. It was unbelievable. Uh, it was the first time that a world champion had ever been accused or not a world champion but a a player in the world championship being accused of using assistance by going to the bathroom. And so what's interesting about this Is that what's progressed from toilet gate um, is now, by the way, in in U.S. tournaments, if you play uh, in in the big ones where they offer big prize funds, uh, they make you uh, turn over your cell phone if it's on your person when you go to the bathroom, um, which I – Always thought well. If you've got a bath, if you've got a phone hidden on you, how are they going to detect it? And so sometimes they would wand you, but you can't wand every single person at a big event who's going to the bathroom. So inevitably, lots of uh, cheating uh, slipped through the cracks, and unfortunately, um, you know that's just a fact of life. You know, you, you hope that everybody plays honestly, but there's some who don't. And then what's happened is they they've now gravitated from. Uh, from going to the bathroom and, and having a cell phone is by potentially having some other device, such as a um, uh, such as a invisible camera, uh, invisible earpiece, or potentially um, uh, if you get assistance from a spectator who is feeding you moves during the game. Uh, I know that happened. That happened in, in I believe it was the French Championship, Daniel, if I'm remembering correctly. Um, so these the, these sort of these sort of um, cheating things has has really progressed and has expanded quite quite a lot. And you know the, the hidden earpiece is the one that I think is going to be the next thing that uh, we'll we'll see we will we'll see or we won't see because it's supposed to be invisible. <laughs> but but it, what we're Good supposed one. to be we're supposed to be seeing you know, we might be seeing that come up in the future at some point.
0: So there's so many disturbing things about this. Um, Robbie. what you mentioned, uh, what did you just mention? You mentioned a cheating... The French, s- Champions the French championship. So what happened in the French championship? Um, or I think this happened at the Olympiad, where which is basically the chess Olympics. All the countries come, come, come together. Um, there was a French grandmaster who was playing as part of the French team, and their coach developed a super complex system. Their coach was a grandmaster... So their coach looked the position up on the chess engine. By the way, we should mention, for those people who aren't totally familiar with the chess world, chess computers right now are totally unbeatable by humans. They have been unbeatable for probably around 10 years. You might have heard of Kasparov and Deep Blue. So chess computers were, like, as good as humans in the late 90s if they were running on a supercomputer. Now, on my S20, my pocket chess engine, it will beat Magnus Carlsen uh, while, like, you know, peeing outside and, you know— being chased by the police. Like the, the difference between these engines that are even on smartphones and humans is huge. So um, this and the fact that these ear, you know, earpieces, eyepieces, shoe pieces, devices that they hide in their shoes, they've become really, really undetectable. So two things exacerbate the situation. The first is that they're undetectable and there have been tons of cases where someone's performance is off the charts crazy Everybody like knows they're cheating. They're beating all these players they could never beat. They're playing like an engine. Nobody can find the device. Like They search them, but the device is nowhere to be found. So like, are they not cheating? Are, are people hacking the game? There's all this speculation that this leads to. That's number one. Number two is that there's a new brand of cheating where a person who's actually good, a grandmaster to begin with, uses computer assistance at five or six important moments in the game. Like he finds a way. He has an, an earpiece. It, the difference between how he would actually play and those five additional moments can be hard to detect because plausibly a GM could play an amazing game, you know, and defeat one of the strongest grandmasters in the world. But Hans is doing it game after game. and um, this of course raises the question. I mean, everybody knows he's actually good. Like whether or not he's cheating, there's no just denying that he's grandmaster strength. People have seen him play honestly. They can confirm that he is good, and I can confirm that he's incredibly good and talented. So there's a lot of these complicating factors, Robbie, and all of them are feeding into the current situation. The fact that Hans is incredibly good to begin with, the fact that nobody has a shred of concrete, red-handed evidence, and the fact that like Magnus Carlsen, Hikaru Nakamura, and all the other top players are opining on this issue right now, um, and they're on like different sides of it. There's no agreement on whether they think Hans is using computer assistance. So w- what else can you add about this chaotic
1: situation, Robbie? I would just echo something you said, and, and we'll get, I'll get to it a little bit later in the podcast. What I think is, was, is so crazy is that the difference between grandmasters at the highest level is you could have one or two critical moments in a game and using an, being able to use the engine during that one or two critical moments can add significant strength to your game. So I think one of the one of the hard things is it's easy to catch people who are cheating uh, by using outside assistance um, when they're not very strong players. because the difference between the quality of their moves um, as a as a layperson versus when they when, when they play at a level so, much higher than is statistically possible, and they do that game after game after game. It starts raising major questions. The hard part for me is the fact that a very that if a strong player has cheated or is cheating, um, uh, that it's almost impossible to detect whether they are cheating or not. That that to me is the hard thing because how do you just, how do you make as, as we talked about earlier? If you don't catch them red-handed, there's nothing you can do. You can't forfeit someone at that high a level based on probabilities, okay? I think it would be hard enough forfeiting someone who's a beginner that plays like perfect chess at the top, top level, game after game after game. That right there is hard enough. But when you have a really strong player that can do it, that to me is the defining moment. And I think what's complicated all this, of course, is we live in the, the era of social media and you get people that are opining on both sides of the issue. Some people say, yes, the person is that Hans is cheating. And some people say, no, Hans is not cheating. And if you were having all the strong players, all the top players, at least publicly saying, that it was one way or the other. Maybe that might lay, l- lend some credence. But we've got some players that are sort of split on the issue. We are kind of... We're left to guess what Magnus thinks, although we, I think we have a pretty good idea of what he thinks. But we also have people like Hakaru uh, Nakamura, who during his, uh, during his Twitch stream today, when he was covering round four of the Singfield Cup, uh, basically didn't come out and say it specifically, but strongly implied it about as, as much as you can. And, you know, I guess Hikaru had a little bit of um, information that he revealed on that uh, Twitch uh, stream that Hans had had his online account on chess.com closed for cheating. And so we do know that there was a a documented evidence of that happening um, on his chess.com account. Um, but it's one thing to cheat and cheat online and it's another cheat in person. Today uh, we were watching the interview of LaVon Aronian who was also uh, one of the top 10 one of the top players playing in this event and they were asking him uh, if he thought that um, that Hans was cheating and uh, Aronian said basically said well I don't see any evidence of him cheating and that the strong juniors can play at a very, very high level and that we shouldn't dismiss that. So we've got two very, very strong players with varying different uh, opinions on the matter. And again, no one has proof one way or the other. Or if they do have it, it has not been revealed publicly. So we're left to sort of speculate. And so that's what we're kind of talking about today. Yeah.
0: So I guess I'll, I'll tackle this from... Uh, I'll, the starting point will be online chess. So, Robbie, you mentioned that uh, Hikaru revealed that he, he knew for a fact that Hans had cheated multiple times on uh, chess.com during money tournaments um, or otherwise. So I should clarify that cheating online is both a lot more common and a lot easier than cheating in person. Like, for example, the easiest way to cheat online, and it's not like I'm revealing any trade secrets. Everybody knows this. You have a friend. You're on a Skype call with a friend. The friend is observing your game. And when you're observing someone else's game on all the chess websites, you can have the chess computer running. It can tell you what the best move is in the current position, what the evaluation is. So you're on a call. The guy is just feeding you moves. Now, there's no way to detect that. What, like, is chess.com going to bug the phones of every single one of its members? That would be weird. Like... It's undetectable, basically. Um, so the, the only way to, to try to detect it is to take the opposite end of it, right? You can try to catch the person right-handed. But if the person is remote, you can analyze the moves. And you can say, well, statistically, the game that this like, chess beginner played is 100 times better than any game that the world champion has ever played. So the, the statistical probability of that, and let's say that this beginner played 20 games like that, you can imagine that you've basically proven that he's cheating with the moves alone. But again, there's some people who say, hey, statistics are never 100%. Like, if you didn't catch the person right-handed, you don't have sufficient evidence. So that's been a big battleground for online chess cheating. But to a lot of people, like, over-the-board cheating is a whole different animal because there you're talking about real, a lot of big prize funds, real rating. Like, people care about over-the-board tournaments a lot more than online tournaments. And sadly, online chess cheating among titled players has been very common lately, and A lot of authority figures like Danny Wrench, um, the chief chess officer of of chess.com, face of chess.com, he has stated this directly that, you know, tons of title players have cheated in their money tournaments. But over-the-board chess is a completely different animal, and um, it's harder to cheat, right? Even setting up an earpiece, for example, that's a barrier to entry for a lot of people. Um, But it's a lot more impactful if someone cheats. Like, if it's proven that if cons is caught right-handed, that'll cause, like, a... To say that it'll cause a stir in the chess community is to say nothing, whereas somebody getting caught online, yeah, people are going to be talking about it, but, like, people move on. So, Robbie, I guess, yeah, there's a sense in which this is a a much more serious situation, and so people are a lot more passionate about trying to get at what they think the truth is. Um, But this has people so on edge because it's pretty obvious that where the world champion stands on this
1: matter and just to set the stage for people that don't know, uh, if how do you cheat in person in a tournament if you don't have access to a cell phone? Well, the only way you could do it is if you have an earpiece, but the earpiece alone is not going to do it if your game isn't tele, isn't uh, broadcast. So what's happening in these games is that the Singfield Cup and all the strong events that happen, the World Championship match, all the candidates that we just had, all of those events are live streamed. In other words, all the games are live. You can watch it in real time as the players make the move, the player is played on the board, the move is played on the board. So with that in mind, if you have someone at a distance who is, um, has their game on their, on their computer screen, fed into a a, using an analysis engine, and you're able to communicate to somebody during the game, that's how you cheat doing it that way. That probably is the one that is, uh, I've had that personally happen against me, so I can speak from experience on that. Um, But then there's also other ways, uh, and there's probably going to be more ways that we aren't even thinking about today, because the earpiece wasn't even something we were talking about 20 years ago. At least I wasn't talking about it. Maybe those things existed uh, for the you know that were really expensive or something but now you know these earpieces you know daniel and I, daniel you and i just did a quick google search and found an earpiece that was in the three to four hundred dollar range uh for that so so it's not something that is cost prohibitive for someone that wants to use it um so i think that's that's one way that that uh people are talking about that the cheating could happen the other way um is if someone had something in their in their shoe some sort of a device in which you're able to tap your foot against something um, to indicate what move you're supposed to play. Now, I know a lot, what a lot of people are, are thinking when they're when they're hearing this is like, seriously, is this what chess has become? And that's why it's so infuriating is because we don't want people to be focusing on this part. The fact that we're even talking about this is so unfortunate. We should be talking about you know, more happier things in chess, but unfortunately we're talking about a major scandal and whether, whether Hans was cheating or not, it has resulted in Magnus Carlsen dropping out of the tournament. And that in itself is a blemish on the event. I don't know how you overcome that. Uh, And I, and I think it's going to be really hard for the players knowing that, you know, the number one player in the world dropped out of the tournament is not continuing the event. I think that that also speaks for itself and I think that's where why we're at this point of the controversy is we don't know what to think we have no evidence to suggest it um, and I think that's that's I mean I don't I don't know if you have the same thoughts as I do Daniel but
0: yeah I I think in the Hans case uh, the only thing that you can do I mean if you think objectively like how do we proceed obviously you need more data there's no evidence based on his existing games To suggest anything, yeah, the games were really, really good. I mean, they're indicative of a really strong player. I'm a guy who arguably played better than Magnus Carlsen for that stretch. But yeah, like some of these top juniors are that good, and we should be ready to accept that. Um, But the second thing, of course, is to specifically devise security measures. This isn't easy, but it's necessary for earpieces uh, to inspect uh, shoes. Maybe not every round, maybe like once a tournament. Um, And it's not because you think everyone's cheating. It's just, you know, it's just because the methods have have become that complicated and you need commensurate security measures. Um, So, you know, I think that's the only way to proceed, even though people are going to continue speculating until something objective comes out. Um, But, Robbie, you mentioned that uh, you were hoping that we would be focusing on happier aspects of the game related to the pursuit of truth unfortunately even at the level of online chess even at the level of chess coaching i have observed an increase a market increase in people just cheating at meaningless games uh, casual games online um and and you know students have cheated against me during lessons i've given them puzzles and they set those puzzles up on their computers and then provided the answer you know and it's obviously out of a desire to impress in many cases there's parental pressure involved to robbie Uh, you're much more experienced as a chess coach than I am. You've seen a lot more of this than I have. I know that you mentioned you've been cheated against twice. I know the stories behind those cheating scandals are pretty crazy. So maybe you could choose one of them to tell and and share what else you've observed uh, among regular chess players uh, and kids in regards to cheating. And we can continue talking about Hans as well. There's obviously a lot more to say.
1: I think the first incident, the the first thing that I think that, uh, viewers, uh, or our listeners, I should say, will find interesting is that I've been cheated on in uh, online blitz events, but also, you know, I run a chess camp every summer, um, and uh, someone was cheating during the lesson. Daniel, you just alluded to someone cheating during your lesson. Uh, they, you know, were given a problem and they would uh, set it up using an engine and they would solve it. And you, and you, you wonder why why are people cheating? Why are kids or adults cheating in lessons that mean absolutely nothing? With kids, I can tell you from experience, because I've had this happen with more than more, more on more than one occasion, plus all the incidents I hear from other coaches, is that kids feel pressure to please their parents. Everything is such a um competition these days, and a lot of people look at their results online um or or their results and what level they're able to achieve as being maybe something that can help them get into a good college or into a good grad school um so i think a lot of kids feel pressure to do that um i think it happened it's been happening a lot more during the pandemic because i think that uh, people were stuck at home and they were going crazy some of some people just um lost their senses and started doing things that were completely out of character. So I think a lot of it is related to, to the pressure. Um, and, um, you know, Daniel, you, you had some, uh, you've had multiple students, um, that have cheated. Um, you want to, you want to care to tell how you found out they were cheating? Want to reveal any secrets?
0: I'll, I'll keep all names anonymous, but I have a couple of stories. So to me, the craziest are the adults who cheat. Um, I, you know, I've had an adult student who has, who has cheated. And then I heard a, a crazier story about, you know, a good friend of mine. He told me that he had a student and, uh, what they do during the lesson is, uh, the student would share his screen and he would play a, a chess game. And, uh, my, my student, my, my friend would be watching, and then he'd make remarks at the end of the game. He'd be silent during the game. Um, and then he'd make remarks during the game. So, um, the, the student was cheating while sharing his screen. And my friend was like, dude, do you realize like you're sharing your screen? I, I can see that you're using the engine. And the shocking thing is that his student said, yes, I'm aware that I'm, you're seeing me use the engine. I mean, I'm just using that as a learning tool to see what the right move is so that I can find it in subsequent games. I mean, the guy had zero remorse about using the engine. He was missing the point. He's like, I'm doing this for my improvement, but dude, you're like robbing other people of an honest game, which is what pisses people off the most, the fact that they have been robbed, Um, they have been lied to, and they think that they're playing a human, but they're playing a computer. It's a crushing feeling. Uh, Robbie, you are in a unique position to expand on this. It's a crushing feeling to be cheated against or on during a chess game. And, um, you know, this has happened to you more than once in important over-the-board events. Can you share at least one of those stories?
1: Yeah, I think one of the frustrations of of all this is it costs a lot of money to go to these in-person events. You got to pay an entry fee. You got to pay the hotel. You got to pay for the flight. You got to pay for your food while you're there. You got to make sure you prepare before the event. So there's a lot of pressure that goes into one of those events. And so when someone cheats against you, you're just like you just can't believe it. So I have a very very famous uh, incident to tell. Uh, not because I was cheated against, because I was, uh, but because of all the other people that this person cheated against. So it was in the World Open um, in the in the mid 2000s. Uh, the World Open is a is the largest open Swiss event. Uh, that is played. It's the biggest money tournament that both professionals and amateurs can play in and they're allowed to play in their own sections. And so I was playing in the top section and I was playing, uh, I, had, uh, I think it was round three. It was the third game I was playing and I was playing this guy, um, that I had looked up his rating right before the event and I'd seen he'd won some money in one of the uh, in some of the smaller but you know decent size big money events and i was like okay i gotta make sure i watch this person and so i was playing this person and he was wearing a hat um during the game his name i will reveal his name because you can google all about it Uh, his name was eugene warshovsky and he was rated 2200 which is uh considered a master level player and he played very strangely against me um he outplayed me, and I had a I had a weird feeling during the game, but I wasn't really to, able to put my uh, put my finger on the issue. I went up to my room after the game was over. I asked my roommates asked how I did. I said I lost someone lower than me, um, but he played really weird, and I didn't really think anything of it. And then this this player proceeds to beat two very very strong players um, right after, and played just absolutely fantastic. And so, you know, the, the, the tournament, uh, you know, searched him, um, uh, or tried to search him, um, after a couple of these, um, a couple of these wins that were, that were, that were had. And right before he was about to be searched, he says, well, I need to use the bathroom. So he runs the bathroom and is in the stall for like 30 minutes. And, um, he comes out of the stall, doesn't have any, um, Then he is searched and they don't find anything. Of course, he loses the game miserably. Um, It's speculated that he flushed the devices down the toilet uh, and all that. Um, But we don't know that. I'm just I'm completely speculating. Um, But uh, basically, um, they never found the goods on him. And so in in, in U.S. chess, there's something called an ethics complaint that you can file against someone if you think that they have violated the ethics of chess. So I filed an ethics complaint against him um, with a lot of circumstantial evidence. Uh, Again, I didn't have anything that absolutely nailed him, but there were so many little weird things that were happening during the game. Um, The fact that he never, never got up from the board. He always had the hat on. Uh, he notated like he was not a strong player. In other words, it took him a long time to write down his moves. Just a lot of weird things, again, not enough to, 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 to show that anything happened. But when you take all of the evidence into account, um, that's what we had to work with. And I, uh, the, this player, Eugene Farshawski, was ultimately banned from uh, U.S. Chess. Um, and the Ethics Committee voted to, um, to ban him. And I didn't really hear anything about this for a long time. And then all of a sudden, I can't remember if I saw the article or someone sent me an article, but uh, they sent me this article from um, that they had seen. And there was this guy, Eugene Varshavsky, who had cheated in a Sudoku tournament. Okay, and the way they caught him was that. Uh, he cheated during the event, did really, really well, but didn't have any kind of established rating or anything like that when he came into the event. And I guess it's customary at the very end of the event that you're supposed to solve something really, really simple um, just as as you know, part of being a Sudoku player. And he couldn't do it because he didn't realize that um, that he needed that kind of assistance when he was when he was uh, solving this really simple, this simple thing. So this happened, you know, in the in the in the early 2000s. And I will never forget that particular incident um, uh, because of it. And but again, they never caught they never caught him with the goods.
0: Yeah, that's a that's a fascinating story. Um, but I can imagine how frustrating it was to be a part of it when it was happening. Um, I have only one sort of case that to, to me is pretty cut and dry of being cheated against. I won't elaborate on it. It's pretty straightforward. I was playing a, a guy who was, who was for whom it was an important game. That's all I'm going to say. I'm going to keep things very vague, uh, deliberately. Uh, but this, this, and he came 30 minutes late to the game. I was already a grandmaster. Uh, he was significantly lower rated than me and he just proceeded to, to kick my ass completely with the black pieces. um, and you know there was a strange person who was who kept coming up to the board, and my opponent was getting up every move. There's just so many red flags, and this is where I think is a good idea to segue into something that, um, you know that that gets chess fans really angry. Fans get really angry when a top player accuses someone of cheating because. You're implying that, you know, your ego can't, you know, the the natural explanation is, well, your ego can't take the fact that this person is better than you or improving faster than you or beat you. And a lot of people are saying this about Magnus. They're saying he withdrew because he can't take the fact that Hans beat him, to which I would say, remember, this is the first time in his 20-something year career that Magnus has withdrawn from a chess tournament for any reason. And he decided to do it this tournament. Could his reason just be that he's jealous of Hans or what, um, you know, can't take a loss to Hans. I'm pretty sure the record proves otherwise. So, um, that's on that topic. But, um, the disconnect itself is that when somebody accuses a player of cheating, they almost never actually have evidence. It's always just an intuitive feeling. You know, I've done this on stream. Ikaru has done this on stream. You play somebody, you're like, that guy could not have been playing honestly and do you always do you ever know that he was cheating no so that gets people very very angry and that's what's really raising the temperature is in this question is tons of people are saying hey you're just jealous right there's a young guy who's yes he's arrogant but you know your ego can't take that either the fact that he's like beating you and then taking a shit on your front door um, you know so is this pure jealousy that's generating these accusations or you know do these people Are these people really putting together red flags? Because, Robbie, there definitely are red flags. I I don't think that's a controversial statement. I I hope that Hans would agree with that if he was watching this podcast, that, like, from our perspective, there are weird things like the interviews. um, But obviously, that's not called evidence. So we're in a big conundrum here, Robbie. You can take, you know, this conversation a bunch of different directions right now. We don't have to talk about Hans. We can keep the chess kids cheating conversation going. But. I'll let you take it where you want to take it.
1: What's, what I find very interesting is that um, I think what's, what's raised the temperature, and you alluded to it when you said when he takes a shit on you, what, what, what Daniel really means by that is if you watch the round two and round three videos uh, that have the interviews with Hans, uh, he's quite disrespectful to the top players, and in particular to Magnus. Um, he says it's he must be embarrassing um, that Magnus is losing to a guy like him, um, which is I, I find to be insulting, terrible tact, and just not becoming of a player. Um, but also, it wasn't just the interview with um, following the the Magnus win that his win against Magnus, but also against when he when he uh, defeated Mommedirov. Um, in the previous game and basically said, you know, these guys are, I thought these guys were the best players in the world. And, you know, they're just playing so terribly against him. And that's just disrespectful um, because it's quite clear they're not playing terribly against him. Um, You know, there, there, it requires, it takes a lot to beat someone, uh, one of the top players in the world. I don't care how good you are. It takes a tremendous amount of effort. So it is disrespectful. So I wonder if, uh, Hans's interview um, pushed Magnus over the edge. In other words, said another way, if he had never made those comments and just talked about the game afterwards and went on, would Magnus have still withdrawn from the event? I don't know. But Daniel, one thing I'd like you to what I'd like you to opine on a little bit is what about Magnus withdrawing from the event? We already said it was the first time he's ever done it in his old in his entire career. But talk about what it means to withdraw from an event, especially an event that is a round robin where you play everyone, uh, the, the the special things that go with that and why that makes it even more of a thorny thing to, to, to do. And then just your your overall comment on, you know, if you had been Magnus, um, would you have withdrawn from the event? I'm very curious to hear your thoughts.
0: Yeah, those are those are great questions. Um I don't even know where to start. I guess to, to answer your initial question, uh, we've alluded to this uh, several times already. But withdrawing from a tournament like this—a huge deal. It's unprecedented, um, and it, it greatly tarnishes the reputation of a tournament if something like this happens. Now, it's happened for health reasons before. That's different. You know that. You know, unfortunately, that happens from time to time. A player gets really sick, um, and sometimes a replacement is found. But this is a totally different ballpark. Um, so it's, you know, in some players' minds, it might be, oh, Magnus just not, doesn't feel like playing the rest of the tournament or oh, whatever. Like, not whatever. These players, they sign contracts where they say that unless they have a medically documented reason, they have to finish the tournament. I've signed these. These are intimidating contracts. Like, you can't just drop, ah, I'm not playing well this tournament, whatever. I'm, I'm not going to play anymore. Like this, uh, this is a truly significant act. Now to this thornier part, like, you know, it was Magnus justified in doing this. The, the real question is, what does Magnus know? Now, chances are, my guess would be, he, he probably does not have, if he caught Magnus red, or if he caught Hans red-handed, if he actually saw something in his ear, he would have said something to the tournament arbiter and, and, and they would have immediately responded to that. One would think. Now, there's a theory of this that goes, well, maybe Magnus did see something uh, and, and wasn't responded to in a way that he found adequate. But there's a third side, which says, yeah, well, what if Magnus just had a suspicion that Hans is cheating just because he beat him? And then he went to the arbiter and said, you know, I need Hans to be inspected and I need Hans to be strip searched. And you again, yes, Magnus has a great sense of like who is cheating and who's not. But on his words alone are not evidence. And, you know, Robbie, you're, you're the lawyer here. So you can like, you know, I'm sure there's nuance in the actual law. Like, can you search someone before a game? Uh, And and I think a lot of people don't realize that, you know, strip searching someone before a game, first of all, um, the person, if a person is cheating and and they sense that a a search is coming or the temperature keeps rising, they might like not uh, bring whatever equipment they, they brought to the next game. So what if nothing is found? Does that mean that they didn't cheat in the previous games? There's no way to establish that. One could even say that catching someone in the act of cheating doesn't even tell you for a fact that they cheated the previous games, although... The likelihood of that is almost zero. So, yeah, it, like, I guess I'm not answering your question. I think if Magnus is suspicious and that's all it is, I don't think he should have dropped out. I think he should have finished the tournament and then aired out his grievances nonetheless, right? You don't have to withdraw from the tournament to, like, make people listen to you. However, if he's got other information that might eventually be revealed um, and he's he believes that information... Uh, to the best of his ability and you know he believes that this is the most effective way to set in motion the processes that are going to like improve the chess world then um then I think he, he is justified but I think he realizes that people are going to not take this well unless further evidence comes out. He, Robbie's basically taking a gamble that like it's going to turn out that Hans is cheating because if turns out that he isn't or that like nothing ever happens Magnus does look really, really bad here.
1: Yeah, I, I have really mixed feelings about it. Um, I don't, I don't believe that just because you're the world champion that the standards should be different from you, d- different for you. Just because you feel that something is happening, that you should have the right that uh, if someone else in the tournament had done it, that they would have been even more criticized. Um, I, I do think that it's very, it's very unlikely that Magnus has any evidence on him uh, that he has at his, his disposal that shows that. Um, That Hans uh, is cheating. Um, I would guess that Magnus probably knows, or if he didn't know, he already, he knows now because of Hikaru uh, uh, streaming about it, is that Hans had had his chess.com account uh, closed for cheating. Uh, So there is at least a a little bit of a track record. The question in my mind is, well, do you get the benefit of the doubt in that particular case? Is it does it mean because you cheated online it automatically means you cheated over the board? You know, that, that now, now we're getting into a lot of, um, a lot of complexity and a lot of just, there's a lot of variables going on here. What, what, what I, what I've just l- watching social media and, and reading some of the comments, you know, there's some people who say, Oh, Magnus is a quitter. He gave up the world championship and, and this is just him acting out and he doesn't really want to play chess. But my response to that is, is, well, He's playing in the Singfield Cup, so clearly, you know, he, he gave very, very clear reasons for not defending his title against Nepo, is that, number one, he didn't want to play him again, because um, he'd already defeated him in a match, and he'd rather play somebody else, and I think there were some some format changes he wanted to make and stuff, um, but he is playing in the event, and so I don't think that that really, that argument really holds, holds a lot of water, um, you know, just, I don't think this has any relevance, but I find it very interesting, um that not only did you know Magnus recently decide not to defend his title which was completely um shocking to to most people um and, that, and there's been rumblings that he really wants to get focused on learning how to play poker better and that he's played in Vegas and all that um but also he recently sold his company you know the play magnus group uh, was sold to chess.com and uh that was announced maybe what maybe a month ago or something so i think there's a lot going on here uh if some of those things had not been occurring in the background, would Magnus have behaved the same? I tend to think he would have behaved the same. Um, I think that Magnus is take a very taking a very principled stand on it. Um, whether you agree with that or not, um I think the safer the safer way to look at it is, yeah, without evidence you really should be staying in the tournament, playing the event. Uh, but I understand where Magnus is coming from. Um I think it's 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 really it's really hard, uh, especially for someone who hadn't lost a game, you know, in like three or four years. So Less than it
0: that, but yeah. Yeah, it was
1: just crazy that he hadn't lost a game in such a long time, and this is when his his record-long streak came to an end.
0: Yeah, it was something like 50-something games. I, I would probably guess more than like a year. Uh, oh, but con- oh, it's yeah, been at least a year. Yeah, but three or four, I don't know if it's been that. But he had a streak of 100-something games, too that was maybe like three or four years it it was really long uh but anyways um what makes this a little bit weirder in terms of evaluating red flags i think there's there's definitely an element of like who is this guy there's definitely ego a lot of egos in the room the actual red flags are you know obviously the fact that hans has been banned from from chess.com that's like whether you consider that a serious like Oh, that sets a precedent. Like whether you think so or not, that, that is a red flag. You have to agree with that. Um, then there's the fact that Hans um, conducts himself in a strange way during the interviews. I want to get back to that. Um, other than the accent I pointed out, he uh, he made he made a couple of mistakes in in, in the uh, chess notation. He 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 shared some strange variations. He Nakamura during his stream uh, was remarking on how strange he he thought Hans's uh presentation of his analysis was but again you could argue well that's circumstantial too because like what now are you going to dictate like how somebody should be thinking about a position what if you know hans is just a different way of reflecting on how to make a chess move like can you just claim that just because he's presenting things in a certain way he's um you know he's cheating obviously not you could say that's a red flag but that's not a piece of evidence so Super thorny situation going on. The last thing I'll say before passing it back to you, Robbie, we can talk maybe a little bit about like where you know this all is headed and what you know what we should do on a on a grander scale about like avoiding these types of situations um, and and getting normal people like not to cheat. Um, the, the last thing I wanted to say is that uh, Hans in his interview today after his draw uh, was asked to remark on Magnus's withdrawal, and Hans is very cryptic about it. And he did not remark on the elephant in the room at all. Uh, there was a couple awkward silences. Um, but, you know, I, I can't help but think that if I were in Hans's shoes and I was not cheating, you know, I would probably not be able to contain my anger. And I would I would say something on air. I would say, you know, I'm aware of all these accusations. But first of all, there's no evidence. I'm totally ready to comply with any anti-cheating measures and submit myself to, to a search like, I would be, like, super vehement about it. Like, yo, like, stop, you know, saying I'm a cheater. Like, go inspect me. I have nothing to hide. But Hans didn't say any of that. He just sort of sat through it and, and didn't mention it at all. So that was a, a strange – something that I personally found strange. strange. But all of these details, um, you know, we're, we're going to hear more developments on this. And uh, I want to make it very clear that, like, I, I have no firm opinion on this. And I'm not ashamed to say that. I, I really – Robbie – Maybe some people get angry at this. I, I feel like yes, there's a possibility he's cheating. It's it's like increased by some of the red flags, but there's no hard evidence. And if I heard that he was not cheating, I would not be surprised at all. Do you think that's a, a reasonable perspective to have on this? or am I like uh, am I falling victim to some sort of bias?
1: No, I think I think your your way of analyzing it is correct. How can you say someone cheated when there's no when there is no actual evidence? There's only speculation um, and things that are said in, 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 in interviews. It definitely raises red flags. There's no question about it. But, you know, you can play a four, five, six hour game and be really tired and give nonsensical answers after a game. I get that. The flip side, of course, is when you're at that level, you should be able to do it in your sleep. So I'm not sure exactly, you know, these arguments have two sides to all of them. Um, I don't think that anyone can definitively say whether it happened or not, um, because we don't know. None of no no one knows uh, whether this is really, really happening. So I I think it's just a lot of speculation. I think that um, going forward. um, There has to be. Um, there there has to be something in the contract um, that allows uh, more, if you will, invasive measures. Um, that allows people to you know allows people to to do the right searches. So if there is a if there's an established thing that they need to check the shoes or they need to check your ears or you need to check, you know, you need to be wanded or whatever. The, all those things need to be part of the hotel con, or part of the contract with the organizer so that a player knows if that comes up, that they're consenting and they're agreeing to those conditions. If they don't agree to that, then you run into a question of, well, do they have the right to search you or Do if they have the right, or if they don't have the right, but they ask and you refuse, does that mean they're not going to forfeit you for cheating? They'll just forfeit you for not agreeing to a tournament request, which is actually a different thing. Um, I know that because in a particular cheating incident, uh, I knew someone had cheated, but they were actually tossed from the tournament, at least initially, for leaving the the main floor of of the event and going up to their hotel room. So they weren't Removed from the tournament for cheating, they're removed for violating tournament conditions. So maybe a tournament condition of the event is if you fail to consent to a particular search, that that's that um, that you'll be that one of the punishments uh, that can be throw, that can be handed down is you could be removed from the tournament, but not be expelled for cheating. Um, one of the things I wonder about Daniel and you and I were talking about this at dinner is whether. Uh, because there's no actual evidence of cheating, does Hans continue to get the invita- invites to these very, very prestigious tournaments? One of the things you guys have to, the, the, the listeners have to understand, is that these tournaments, um, they are by invitation. You do not have a right to be in the event, unless it's the candidates or something, It's, it's by, and it's by rating and stuff. So th- these, these big money tournaments, unless it's you know, the World Championship or something like that, are invitational. So you could they he may not get invites because of this. Um, Would that be terrible for chess? Yes, it would be terrible for chess because we don't know if he cheated or not. And so you're by by not inviting him, you're basically saying we think you're cheating um, or it could be argued that we think that you're cheating and therefore you're not getting an invite. Whereas maybe an organizer would say, well, we don't think we don't know these not cheating, um, but we just don't want to have that controversy around the tournament. So, you know, that, that this can that conspire out pretty quickly and people can get into their camps and, and argue one way or the other. So I'm, I'm kind of worried about about where this future holds, because uh, this will not be the first or last time that this incident that cheating is brought up amongst one of the top players. Daniel, what are what are your thoughts?
0: Yeah, I, I think you're you're uh, pointing out a couple of larger processes that need to take place. Um, you know, cheating is a clear and present danger to chess to answer one of the questions we posed initially. I think everybody agrees with that online and over the board. There's nothing that corrupts a tournament more than somebody playing dishonestly. It violates the very basic integrity of the game. It's the first agreement you make with any opponent in any game Is that you're gonna play the game honestly. Otherwise, the game is not a game. You have to abide by the rules. It's like somebody trying to move the queen the way a knight moves. Like you just can't that is against the rules. Um so my opinion is that first of all, the punishment for caught being caught online or over the board needs to be increased. And I hate to argue for more punitive measures than anything. You know, it sounds like, oh, here's this highfalutin GM, like just saying people oh, people should be banned. But I, I really believe strongly that raising uh, disincentivizing cheating by saying, Hey, if you're caught online, you know, maybe FIDE and chess.com make some kind of deal where if you're caught on a site and you're banned, you know, that information gets passed over to FIDE and FIDE, you know, gives you a strike or something. And if you accumulate three strikes, you're banned for X number of years. Like there's ways to disincentivize cheating further at that end. Then there's ways to disincentivize it by, uh, arming, I think, especially elite organizers and elite, uh, TDs with the equipment necessary to detect cheating before it happens. And in the biggest prize online tournaments, those types of measures should be implemented as well. So I think organizers, top players should get together and develop like more clear protocol for anti-cheating over the board and online um, and should make a conscious effort to to institute that. Um, But what that should never spill over into is like a situation where players are afraid of being falsely accused And right now, the good thing about uh, Chess.com and other websites, anti-cheating measures, I think, is that they almost never produce false positives. They're incredibly accurate because the measure, uh, the criteria for proving that someone's cheating is so stringently set. And we have to hold ourselves to that very high evidentiary standard or that or that or there you get into the realm of like banning people falsely, which is the worst outcome. So it's a very hard balance to find. I think we're on the overly naive side of that balance i think we need to push the scales a little bit in the direction of like getting our shit together in regards to anti-cheating admitting that it's a problem and robbie i think we also should be trying to teach chess in a way and rem- remind people that you know it's it's all about the journey like whatever cliche you want to use like reminding people of why cheating is bad in the first place and that there are many better alternatives to doing that do you think that that approach has any chance or is that all like Woo, woo, you know, that's not going to actually produce any impact. What do you think is the easiest thing to do to make sure that this issue is contained?
1: I think that's really tough. Um, I I think that the devil is always in the detail. I always say that Um, having punishments lengthened um, can be something could be a factor to take into consideration. But I think you have to look at the age of the person that does the cheating um, you have to look at what cheating actually occurred, uh, cheating, letting someone else play on your account for a blitz game that wasn't, you know, it was just insignificant versus cheating in an online tournament that actually mattered. I think that you have to take that into consideration. I don't think it's a hard and fast rule. I just think that you need to equip the, uh, the, the body that is, that is imposing sanctions with the ability to have a lot more freedom. Um, I don't think that you should ha- be able to make that one mistake should cost you, but if you're one of the top players, um, maybe it should cost you. In other words, if you're doing that for a living, as opposed to playing casually, maybe you should be treated more harshly than someone that just did it and was really stupid for that particular day or just made a really bad, you know, really bad choice. So I think that that, that has to factor into it, um, One of the things that I do, I also agree with that you said, was that uh, organizers are a lot are very naive, and I'm not talking about any particular organizer because I'm not qualified to answer to answer technical questions. But to me, you should be able to detect a device that's in a shoe or an earpiece. There has to be something that can detect that kind of um, that kind of stuff. Um, It it just it just chess needs to move with the times and unfortunately with technology improving and helping analysis engines that the organizers have to have to jump on board and especially at the highest level at the very very highest level they have to go way beyond the call of duty um i remember when i visited the saint Louis chess saint louis chess club maybe 10 years ago um i was wanted as a spectator um and i know that they still want players and i know there was an increased wanting today maybe there needs to be more of that on a higher level what what exactly that involves i'm not qualified to answer but i'm really really hoping and i've been actually hoping for a while here that someone who has cheated will come out and say how they did it because that a lot of people seem to seem to not have a clue how any of this stuff can happen no one even asks the question and I think that we need to to try to to avoid these kind of controversies in the future. We have to ask better questions, and we have to equip the organizers with with more equipment. Um, so th- those are those are my my thoughts. I don't know, Daniel. Did that provoke any any response or any additional thoughts you might have?
0: No, I think that's great. Um, yeah, I th- I think that we need to uh, again avoid something where we treat top players like we are perpetually suspicious of them. But at the same time, we cannot go by the logic that just because someone's a top player and they're, they're good to begin with that. They, uh, that they're like automatically immune. Like they're not going to cheat because they're already good. Like we have already discussed the issue of somebody who is already good at chess on their own, using computer assistance to further sharpen their claws might, that might be the hardest form of cheating to stop. So we should start by, Asking ourselves how to deter that kind of cheating. And I think go from there. Um, and a lot of people and parties are doing a good job of it. You know, our, I think goal is is the same to keep chess honest, you know, to keep kids honestly interested in the game more so than impressing the, their parents. So we should approach this from all angles and uh, it's going to be a problem for a long time to come. And let's hope that as Robbie said, let's hope chess moves with the times, Well, we will keep an eye on the Hans and Niemann situation as it unfolds. Tomorrow is round Five um we might hear from magnus we might hear from uh people in the know over the days to come and i think it's safe to say at some point in the future on one of our next podcasts we will uh talk more about the, the this case if any other information comes out and as the tournament continues robbie I'll, before we wrap up and i think this this is a good spot to wrap up our inaugural episode i'll pass it to you one more time uh for your Final thoughts. Anything, anything that you feel we left unsaid, and there's obviously so much more we could have talked about. There's always a regret, I think, uh, on all podcasts that we're going to record. Like, ah, we could have talked about this.
1: Yeah, Daniel. I think uh, sadly, this will not be the last time we talk about cheating in chess. It will always occur because if it's online, it's so easy to do in front, of, in the confines of your own home. Um, in person, it's a lot harder to do, but with technology advances, it may be getting easier. What I worry is that if someone thinks it's this easy to do uh, at the Singfield Cup, what prevents another strong player, maybe not as strong as the players in this event, but let's say that someone is a master or an international master, and they're trying to make that next level, and they, and they start cheating and getting assistance. It could be the death knell of over-the-board chess. And that would be a crying shame because, uh, you know, chess is supposed to be a gentleman's game. It's supposed to be based on, you know, treating people with respect and being gentlemanly and just being just being civil um, during during a game and and just enjoying the game. And at the end of the game, you shake hands. And if somebody beats the other person, well, then congratulations to them. But I, I really fear that that this can lead to. Um, you know, this can lead to future incidents. And I really, really hope that doesn't, does not, does not happen. Um, I would like to close by saying thank you for everyone for, uh, tuning in to the first podcast that we're doing. Um, we're going to be talking about a lot of different topics. Uh, we might do interviews in the future, um, with, with, uh, certain famous chess players or influential people in the chess world to try to get their perspective. And, um, and uh, I really appreciate having this first uh, podcast with you, Daniel. It's been absolutely fantastic.
0: It's been fantastic on my end as well. Robbie, thank you. I'm, I'm so happy we, we're we getting this out there. And, you know, we're going to take this in so many more interesting directions uh, and, and, and try to avoid the hurdles as they come, and, you know, and try to keep it up as best we can. Uh, but for now, this was episode one of Chess Crib. And uh, this was an absolute pleasure to record. We will see you on episode two. Goodbye, everybody.